Welcome to the Mad River Anthology. I'm Tim Ayers. How do you face both cold weather and a recession? Jerry Martin figured you hold a poetry reading. Part 2, The Recession Winter Special, recorded live at Three Foods Cafe in Arcata, with Xiaowei Wu on bass. This is a winter storm piece. I was so impressed with the screeching that Joanna and Xiaowei were doing together. I thought, oh, let's do that with this with this poem. This is the, this is the first of, of four winter storm poems. Um, all of them um, observed, observed isn't the right word, uh, sort of in, from being in them out on the Manila dunes over a period of years. The first is January storm. Maybe the other side of the character in that last New Year's poem. South wind, she slammed all my windows. She made me wish I'd hung the ones I've been storing dry and unbroken downstairs. And my new doors, also put away down there with my good intentions. Nothing was able to go or stay where it belonged. The helpless rain did his best to fall but could not reach the ground or even run down faces. In town, total strangers used umbrellas like shields with swords inside, but only the usual power lines and shallow-rooted lovers and a few drunks on their way between bars blew away or down or even got rained on. It wasn't too bad she came up the peninsula at the open front porch of my darkened house at 50 knots, but when I finally got home after the second meeting that night about saving the ungrateful dunes. She turned 90 degrees and threw wet Pacific sand all the way across the willow swamp at my upstairs bedroom window, removing at least not my face personally, but the tar paper where I'd meant yes again to finish but had not. <laughs> and the neighbor's big cypress and the not yet nailed off woodshed roof, which thank God landed in my yard, so there's one person not hurt. Not too bad, considering the house is still standing and the dunes look so smooth and sane that had it been anyone else or any other year, I could almost believe this morning that something besides love might ever be done, or that anything but sand could be saved. <laughs> nice stormy. He seems like a mild guy, but you know, really he's got this, <laughs> his inner storms. <laughs> Thank you. Between Pacific storms. The rain has to some days wonder where it's going to fall. The dune hollow pools must ask what to do with another winter. It's a mystery that the years of rain can be contained at all. That water goes from sky to leaf to leaf again or needled branch to branch of pine or down the smooth gray skin of willow 
unto sand which at first resists, then swallows every drop and sends it down to roots almost as easy as through air. And yet it stops, held by something in this sand that our lives go running through. The dwellers underground must make cups of flesh and bone and leaf and shell compressed to shale or clay and hollowed and held to catch the rain. And from these thousand cups, the willow drink and myrtle and pine, frog and lily, and in them mallards swim and coot and egret, heron and hawk look down as I am doing now. And when the sun comes out, and wind ripples the dark water. They must for a moment glimpse the souls of all the multitude lifting their cups and raising all the shining voices of the rain. Hold the bright note of every drop that falls. Oh, nice. Two more storm poems. <laughs> this, this poem came in the winter following um, that, that poem before was almost a premonition of this poem. It was written in the um, early fall and this in the, in the following winter and it was almost like that was a premonition that, of what was to come that winter of 2001, um, first the 9-11 the and those events and the war that was to follow. Beneath the imagined earth. A winter wind pushes in over the edge of the continent, down in the dune hollow under willows hung with lichen the drowned wreckage of fall. Water, a dark and unmoving mirror of inconsolable skies. For the briefest moment of the year, not a soul is coming or going. Then a gust, a marsh wren moves a willow branch. The branch moves its reflection. A pair of mallards glide by and bend apart the mirror. A frog dives into the unfolding light to escape the image of a heron. Pieces of heaven's broken edge drop into the underworld. A chorus of voices rises from the ripples of dark water. The wind picks up. Some kind of storm is building down there a song rising from below. The mallards splash. In the black water, armies of the underworld sing of night overtaking the earth. 
a light rain begins. The words of the song hold pity for us, for our having so much to lose, wasting it so thoughtlessly. Over the dunes, the ocean begins to wail, ancient green-eyed crone, long white hair streaming in the wind. All that remains of heaven opens and falls upon the day. Body of water, body of earth, drum and flute and voices, wrens flitting through the willows in the rain. Peace is rising from the dead. And finally, after the storm. Yeah, I must have a shirt. This one is to Aphrodite, a Greek name for Venus, who was born of the ocean form on the Isle of Cyprus, is goddess of beauty mother of love, queen of laughter, patroness of courtesans, mistress of the graces and of all pleasure. Last night's storms come onto the beach. It's one of those oceanic mornings with so hugely much more water than land bursting and exclaiming and frothing its excitement at arriving and arriving foam and heave of great milky wave on wave scudding all the way up the strand and left there. 10,000 iridescent pleasure domes of green, purple, pink prisms silently bursting and shivering and expiring with as many thousand glances and infinitely small sighs and at even the slight breath of my body's motion over hers, reclining resplendent in its everyday morning jeweled opulence and precious beaded shards of wholly expressed desire. Yes, yes I did, once or twice, maybe more, say your name. <laughs> You can see why the mythology says that Venus was born of this ocean doing all this. Man, it's pure love. <laughs> Unconditional love. <laughs> She'll drown you. <laughs> okay, um, I want to continue some of what was... Um, Joanna was reading some poems for the trees. I mean, it's not only in this time of year, but in these times, um, 
I mean, the forests have taken a savage beating, you know, from, from this culture, which, thank God, is winding down a little, taking a little less. This is um, a poem I've been reading, and you've probably heard it or seen it before, and I'm going to keep reading it until they repeal the salvage writing logger that was added to a sneaky bill in the Senate in 1998, permitting the salvage logging of old growth forests, which is to say, we had to cut them down to save them. I heard that before, yeah. The villages we had to destroy to save them. Please don't save us. <laughs> Salvage this. This poem needs to be saved from itself. It is way over the hill. Words on dead wood. Long ago it ceased to be profitable. You would be keeping it from being taken by its own dark and useless purposes. There are words in here over a thousand years old. <laughs> they have conspired with other creatures and been spoken time and again with air that has been inside the leaves of trees. These words, when spoken, are an ancient forest. Some of the words are no longer producing return on investment. Truth love, compassion for all beings. Hey, call the operators, haul them away to the mill. But say, isn't that a trace of human wisdom in among those words? And down there, isn't that a vole digging for buried meaning in the decay and duff of a culture that long ago knew how to say, enough? Don't be taking what you haven't created and can't pay back? There is blood here. An owl is eating the vole. There is life here. These words are inside the trees again. What happens to our words happens to the forest. What happens to the forest happens to us. We should be cutting lies instead of trees. A couple more tree poems. In the community forest on New Year's Day, the Arcadus community forest has been the object of my grumbling for almost as long as, even though I, actually longer than the salvage log, logging writer. Another one of my long-term grudges. Does anybody remember the election that the city of Arcata voted to cut the forest to pay for a cultural center? <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Good, they never built the cultural center, but they're still cutting the forest. <laughs> Funny how once the money's there, they find something to do with it. Grumble, grumble, grumble. All right. <laughs> we walk among redwoods, growing in a forest cut more than a century ago. Joggers, babies in strollers, wide crushed rock paths, 
thinning and selective cut, managed trees among ghosts of trees, moldy green or black from fire, 10-foot high stumps with chiseled cuts where two men stood and worked a saw. The fallers gone, trees milled and shipped, burned in 1906 or dried up bones of Victorian mansions. We walk and hear their voices. Blessings on your day from the spirits of a thousand years. Remember us when the grandchildren ask how to live. Um, this poem is inspired by, well, by angelology, <laughs> uh, according to which, I mean, in many, in many religious traditions, there was an order of angels who, when the work of creation was done, decided to just hang out and stay here. And they became known as the watchers. And one day, Don, well, where are they? Oh, the trees, I get it to the winter sun. There were on the morning of creation as many angels on earth as there one day would be trees. The angels had flown here from the sun. See, this is also particle physics, and angels are also light, right? Sent by the sun to care for every form of life on earth to watch over whatever crawled from the sea, what slithered from under rock, every creature that moved around the angels' feet, that walked or crept or scurried in their shadow while the angels watched and sang. A million years went by. The sun rose and set. Tens of millions of years, the earth wobbled and spun. Seasons came and went. The angels put down roots. The creatures nested in the angels' hair and learned to fly as the angels had flown. Clung to their feathered limbs. Walked on two legs and on four between them where they had taken root. Forests of angels giving shelter and food. Praying to heaven to send the bright rain the dark wind. They do not fear the flood or fire or ice, do not forbid their fruit, never cease to be a garden, continue to go down into the blind earth and raise their limbs to heaven, to be evergreen, laurel and cedar, juniper, spruce and yew, or to give their fire back to the sky, yellow, red, magenta, alder, oak, and maple, cottonwood, willow, all their colors thrown off, their bare limbs a prayer, rising, returning. The forest is a choir of angels rooted in the earth. Walk among them on a winter day, singing back the sun.
This is the next to last piece. This is, um, this is hot spring science, uh, <laughs> of which I'm a student, uh, taking lessons from Jenny Finch, who guides me to hot spring after hot spring. It's a slow learning curve. You know. <laughs> um, and when I read this, when we were practicing it, it occurred to me that the sound of water in hot springs is a little like the sound of the water in, uh, in the surf pounding on the beach. And I, maybe that's just how, you know, water is, water is such a strange element. We, we always, I mean, it's, it's so around us, we think of it as something stable, but, you know, H2O. You know, but it's, always, it's not always the same H's with the same O's, you know? <laughs> Isn't that shocking? <laughs> Yeah, I know, it's always, it's, it's moving around. They're trading off, hey, I'll trade you an H for another, you know. I mean, and that's what makes it watery, you know. <laughs> yes. You can see I'm still a student at this. <laughs> Elements of winter. This was at uh, one winter solstice at Ore Hot Springs. Fire in earth gets water so deeply ex Sighted, it gushes up as thermal liquid, fills hot pool, soaks our mineral bones, spills into winter creek, splashing down steep coast range, canyon to sea, to evaporate into cloud sky where sun is at nearest, Day shortest, moon its most bright at night, so frozen dew on apple tree makes bare black branches blossom stars. Constellations we can almost touch, stars of ice twinkle under stars of fire. Gas or crystal, our only choice in dark, cold space. But here on hot earth, rocks under us rub together. Get water in morning, so excited again that Sunlit bubbles dance as mist in air we breathe, and sun and moon in dark, cold space with us between play footsie in million years long hot bath. <laughs> <laughs> I want to end, end, with a, end with a dream poem about shopping. <laughs> Jenny said, if it's about shopping, it must be a dream. If you wrote it, I, I, I avoid shopping <laughs> like the plague, which it is, you know. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like to dedicate, this is called Shopping for the Revolution. And it's dedicated to Jnimaital, Damour, the Walmart sales clerk who recently died 
trampled to death by shoppers. God. <sighs> You'd think the whole nation would just stop and wake up and say, oh my God, what are we doing? <laughs> well, this will wake them up. Shopping for the revolution. I'd just come from a meeting, a dark agenda of many winters. We were at a crucial moment in an ancient struggle. Things were going our way. Every way, every way we looked was down. The declaration of our Congress said, go to Middle Earth and live among the lost and unbelieving. So there I was, amid the bright lights and expensive air of a great 21st century department store. After the years of darkness, it took my eyes a while to adjust. It was like the big stores in San Bernardino when I was a kid and my mother would take me with her when she worked, went to work at Markel's Jewelry as a bookkeeper. And all day I'd wander amid the shops and window displays and Christmas lights and many storied buildings full of everything on earth for sale. When I had at, la at last selected a gift, the saleswoman would put my money and receipt in a canister, which she inserted into a large brass tube. And when she closed its round door, the cylinder of money and receipts was sucked upward and across the ceiling, high above us, were adjoined other brass tubes, all leading to an office with windows that looked down on the great ceremonial hall where hundreds and hundreds of people enacted the seasonal sacraments of human commerce. This is true. <laughs> A few people still remember this, yes. <laughs> Up in the office, the high priests removed the cylinders and performed certain secret magic rituals and then put paper and money back inside and closed the round door and down it came like the word of God through the bright brass tube and the clerk opened it and there was my change. <laughs> It was during one of America's little holidays between certain of its wars and the wars that were to come and the unending winter, winter that would follow. We had tried before to overthrow it. There was an attempt at spring, a thaw of frozen hearts, a summer of love. But it was all translated using the dictionary of public lies and it came out colder than before. Only now with all the fervor and cruelty of humans when they know their own crazy ideas will kill them but they don't care as long as they can take everybody else with them. A season of giving, they called it. So there I was, shopping for the resistance. Not saving the world, not buying things. The light was what I was there for. The light that came from picking up the things and handing them to the salesperson with a poem. I handed a young woman a piece of lace, another a pocket knife, and another a doll. Each time the light of the gift was in her eyes so she didn't see the smoke still coming from my clothing, the underworld written all over me. The poem stayed with her though she read it quickly before putting it in the brass tube and up it went, shining with the light that shines through everything from the earth upward a hymn to the sun and it came back down as a blessing like rain. A message between heaven and nature, between animal and spirit, 
through all of us humans singing the overthrow of the world where everything is for sale. There were thousands and thousands of us sent to perform these little acts of liberation. Nothing was purchased, nothing taken out of the department stores and malls. It was a kind of spiritual shoplifting. Every object we touched was translated back into its true nature, its essential light handed to every lowly underpaid salesperson, rising through the bright conduit of prayer like music through great organ pipes and coming back down as heaven's grace and all over the overturned world whenever a clerk opened it. There at last was our change. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. Happy solstice. <laughs> Stay warm. <laughs> Change of last. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I dreamed it. What did I, what did I say? <laughs> Listening to Jerry Martin and bassist Xiaowei Wu recorded live at Three Foods Cafe in Arcata. Special thanks to Thomas Dunklin Multimedia Productions for the fine recording. This is the Mad River Anthology. I'm Tim Ayers. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826 6089. On our blog and online archive of past programs can be found at Mad River Anthology. Dot wordpress.com The show is also available in iTunes. The Mad River Anthology airs the second and fourth Sundays of the month at 10 p.m. and is produced for KHSU located at Humboldt State University in Arcata, California.